The Anfield Wrap, brought to you by High Street Solicitors, a one-stop shop for all your legal needs. Call us now on 203 1268. It's the Anfield Wrap, not live on City Talk 105.9. Uh, if you listen to this on Friday when it goes out, we recorded this on the Wednesday night, so something tumultuous has happened in the meantime, uh, and you're, you're wondering why aren't they banging on about that? They bang on about practically everything else. Uh, that's why. Uh, opposite me are Steve Graves and Paul Cope. Coming up in part two, we've got Steve Armstrong to talk at length about Manchester United. My word, he's come on this podcast when times were good. It's good to get him when times are not so good. Um, but before we go any further, it's the opening question. Um, and the opening question this week comes from my head and it goes like this if you could give any footballer historically speaking a makeover who would you give and why Uh, my answer to this which should demonstrate itself as an example is that if Robbie Savage had shaved his head decided he was going to be called Bob Savage then everyone would have said he was a decent journeyman midfielder who could put a tackle in and, and could throw a good dead ball in as well. That's what would have happened for Bob Savage. As it is, everybody hate, hates loudmouth Robbie uh, with his blonde locks and his singing along to things in the car. Uh, Steve Graves, what's yours? Um, I was going to go the other way and maybe if Peter Beersley had been, had had like long flowing hair, being Italian, um, that might have, he might have got more credit maybe internationally than he did. Um, for the things he could do, but also I think Cristiano Ronaldo. I think. What people, do you think he needs to do? I'm not quite sure. He needs to change his face in some way. <laughs> <laughs> but ultimately, having a face, having a face that looks like his, so cocksure and annoying, and somehow missing being attractive despite being attractive. I know exactly. What you mean. Yes. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't really know any women or or men who think he's attractive in in a classical way. But if you actually look at him, obviously he is. Um, then I don't know. I don't know what he's done wrong somewhere. So he's done wrong, and I think he'd have won more um, golden whatever it is. Ballon d'Ors. Ballon d'Ors. That's, that's the one. one. That's the one they all want. I was going to say golden boots. Golden Ballon d'Ors. Whatever. <laughs> gold things. Gold balloons. Trinkets. Um, yeah. Ninety nine gold balloons. Um, Paul Cope, what's yours? I, I like. I like that one. I, I didn't realise. I thought we were just talking because there's, like no, reason really stuff, to, there's no reason really. no reason really to dislike and... him now, is there, Ronaldo? You know what I mean? Nobody, but he has, he's, he's not even that, objectionable he's got that in any. Look yeah, about him, has he? he just needs to be it's sort not, of. Yeah. If he was if he was on telly all the time, they'd they'd put all that powder on him and stuff to take the shine away. I think yeah. that's what it is. It's the shine. <laughs> you see, you've you've taken mine already with the Robbie Savage. That's that's the easiest one. I was actually thinking on the way up. I'm I've do, I do that thing lately where you think of a great answer to the opening question two weeks after you've been on. So I might start doing that thing where you answer the last question that you'd had because you've had loads of time to think about it. And when you're just walking down the street and go, oh, I wish I'd have said that. That would have been dead funny, that. So you're playing for time here still, aren't you, Paul? You're not coming up with anything, yeah, are you? Yeah, do you want me to give me, me, me boss answer from the other week? Go on, then. Uh, the, the, the line in a film that you, in, if you say it's Andrew Heaton into, it yeah. still works. I love the smell of Andrew heating in the morning. <laughs> Excellent stuff. Yeah. I like that. You like made, that. that. That's made me happy. Yeah. Uh, that'll do. That's better. That, that, that's better than anything else. Uh, I like the idea that now we've we got to the point with the opening question where we're allowing people to decide which one they're answering from the previous four <laughs> weeks. Um, we're all a bit. We're all a bit giddy. The United game is on the horizon. It's partially Steve. The giddiness is partially because you haven't watched this Liverpool team play for ten days, and that feels currently like eternity. <laughs> I'm I'm surprised when you said ten days. It, it does feel longer. And it's partly because you really feel like we can and should beat them. And that's a little bit scary and also a lot of fun. 
How on board are you with the idea that we can and will beat them? I mean, not not in terms. I mean, of, I'm, I'm, are you struggling? With, I think that people's heads are beginning to go a bit on it. Really, like everyone's gone through. The, I, I've been watching sort of people talk about this game for the last couple of weeks now, and people have gone through this roller coaster of going, "Oh, we're definitely going to win," and then everyone's gone. Everyone thinks we're definitely going to win. That means we're definitely going to lose, and everyone's sort of doesn't know quite what to do. Yeah, you could do with it coming on the back of a, of a Wednesday and, and playing straight away on a Saturday and having to think about it too much. I, I am basically optimistic, but also frightened of the optimism, which is, applies to the whole rest of the season now. I've reached that little that little plateau, I think, in terms of it being on and me being scared. That You're on that one? Yeah, You're, you're on there. that one with the ladder? That's where I am. What about you, Paul? Where are you at the moment? Yeah, I'm, I was t- telling Steve outside that I'm, I've, I spend my time lately just talking myself down from a really high point, just trying <laughs> to convince myself how we're not going to win the league and we're going to get beat by United, just because I'm not sure I can cope with the excitement, the levels of excitement that I'm experiencing. But the problem I've got with United is, with with the league, even after all season, you know, I've, I've said since we drew it, since we beat Stoke on the first day, we're going to win the league. And, and I think we've stuck to that pretty rigidly throughout, right in the face of being laughed at and the rest of it. So we, Rightly, the three of us in this room can, can walk, walk with our heads held high in this city on the 10th of May <laughs> yeah. and say, all the way through, we yeah, said... We backed yeah, go on. And, but and and with the with the league, I can I can convince myself now that we won't because Chelsea just won't lose any other games. And even if we beat them, we'll still finish a point behind them. I can convince myself of that. That's quite believable. But when I look at the United team and I convince myself that, well, Joe, you know, if we're so confident we we'll, we could get beaten, they could pull a performance out the bag. I go through their team and the players and any combination I can think of, I don't see how they could beat us. I just don't see how it happens. So then. I don't know what to do with myself because then I'm thinking, well, we win, we will win five nil, but how can we? How can I go into a match at Old Trafford thinking we're going to win five nil? Because we're not going to win five nil. You think six? <laughs> I, I think full stop. I mean, I'm quite intrigued because when I actually look at their players in isolation, I uh, Steve, I get myself, I get myself into this panic of they can have one last throw with the dice here. There's a couple of these lads who surely aren't going to go quietly into the night when Liverpool troop up to Old Trafford. They're surely going to put a proper show on. Carrick is still a very good footballer. I've always liked Michael Carrick. You know, there's going to be players around I mean, who can get performances in. Rooney's not going to take any of this nonsense. I'm talking myself slowly but surely into uh, into the territory of certainly a tough point. <laughs> yeah, but you see, yeah, you think they'll, they'll surely get up for it, but, but will they? And, and why? And it's, you wonder if, they're just that couple of percent percent off the, where they can get to in terms of their enthusiasm and what they're playing for. And it is the, the sort of thing that you've seen with managers when they don't seem to fit at clubs, that players find it very hard to sort of go that extra 2% or whatever it is, that marginal gain that, that puts you up to the level that they should need to be at to compete with us. My, my, my thing on it, my thing on it, Paul, is it's this first 10, 15 minutes and it is this, I think it's massively a first goal game, um, to be honest with you. And the reason why I feel, I mean, there's been games this season where, for instance, we, we went to City and we went to Chelsea and we didn't, we did score the first goal, we didn't go on to win the game. But, give the, the way this United side is at the moment, the way we're now playing on the counter is so ruthless you do think that if we if we tear into them in the first 10 15 minutes with all the pace and all the everything that we've got at the minute the movement and we get one it does feel as though it does open up for us yeah i agree with that that it, it's going it obviously opens up if we get one early but i also don't think it necessarily hinges on that because don't you think a close one suits them suits Moyes it's Mo- Moyes likes close football yeah, that's what he does of, of course and i i think that's how he'll approach it cuz that's what he he'll re- he'll revert to type and and that's what his defence mechanism is to just try and stop us doing what we do but I just think we're we're so good at what we do when we do it well the, the thing that that worries me about this game is 
they'll get themselves up for it. And if there's one game they're going to get themselves up for, it's against us at Old Trafford when they're down and out and people are slagging them off. And But then once I've, I go through that process, I think, but hang on, which games have we been up for the most this season? The massive games. And the bigger the game, the more we're up for it. So if they raise their level of performance, we raise our level of performance. I just don't see us going in and giving a flat opening 15 especially but even after that we've we're rested and I know that doesn't necessarily mean anything well are we worried about the lack of momentum therefore is that a concern potentially but I I feel more like if the if the players feel anything like we all feel about it going in as fans they're going to be chomping at the bit to get out of Old Trafford and they know that if they win at Old Trafford this is potentially historic stuff. On this, this is dead interesting, actually. Uh, John Gibbons actually put something on some sort of uh, social media or forum this week, Steve, that stuck out for me. It was after someone had put a p- training picture of Liverpool play- Liverpool's players up, um, looking like they were having the, the time of their lives. And John just said, I wish I played for Liverpool. <laughs> and at the minute, you know, that sort of, that, that vibe, it, 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 it's emanating off them, isn't it? It flows off these footballers. And, and, and as, as Paul says, you know, if they're up, you know, as we, we, we think they want, always should be, but to also, we are ourselves. You're expecting them to do something at least, at least interestingly special. Yeah, and what you've described there couldn't sound more different, really, from Manchester United and the, the vibe around that you pick up from, from their team at the minute. Other than well, haven't we gone into games against them where they've been more in the much more in the position that we're in now, and we've been much more in the position that they've yeah. been? And I'm we've talked it out. And I'm thinking about the 09 at Anfield when we were poor. We were poor at the start of 09 10. Yeah. And they came, and for 30 minutes, basically in the first half, we defended doggedly. We showed true determination and character. Mm. We couldn't get out of our half coherently. We won the game 1 0. Well, I mean, I thought back to. Um the Chelsea game under under Hodgson, where obviously there was a, a fair degree of, of fortune because Chelsea um, had a, a very couple of very near misses, but equally he could drill a team to to do that kind of thing. And and but then David Moyes doesn't have a history of doing that. Um, he doesn't have a history of of winning games against big teams. You sort of oddly feel like he should, given that his football should suit it, um, but but he doesn't. And. If you were to handpick a side um, to, for us to play, you'd want it to be a side with, with no pace in its central spine and without a, a hugely physical, strong centre-forward. Um, and both both of those apply to Manchester United. Um, so I, it's hard to suppress your confidence, but at the same time, obviously, you, you do. the more confident you get, as you say, the more, the more you come back around to nervousness. I think the funny thing is, when you, when I, when you think about it, that if this was us going to Goodison to play Everton under Moyes, I wouldn't be thinking we were going to smash them at all. I'd be thinking, God, this is going to be tough. This this is going to be them derailing this whole enthusiastic push for the title, however unlike, unlikely that is. Mm. And I just think it's it's almost perfect timing for us because the way he sets up a side to give us problems, he hasn't yet got United to do. And, and he hasn't got the players he wants to be able to do that. And it sounds mad that because they were the league winners and they've got all these fantastic players. But one of the problems we, I mentioned to Steve outside, one, one of the problems he's got is a similar problem that Rodgers has got, but in a completely different way. He really, to play the way he wants to play, needs to leave out Rooney or Van Persie. And he's not going to do it. And the reason he's not going to do it is because he hasn't got the bottle to do it. Because if they lose without playing one of them, all hell breaks loose for him. But the reality is, Rodgers has got that same problem, but his two lads can't stop scoring and creating goals. Moyes has to keep these two lads in the team, but they're not 
anywhere yeah. near what they've done previously. It's not a bottle decision really for Rodgers. It's how do I get the best out of these two rather than what what, what Moyes has got, Steve. That is interesting indeed. Yeah, it is. Um, and I think Massa only compounds that, which is yeah. it was such an odd non-solution solution signing in that you bring in someone who, who directly competes with with probably your best player or certainly the player you're about to give 300 grand a week to mm. um, and also one of your most under, underused players who you can't even seem to find a place for in Kagawa you know, oddly were he to pull something out and, and start say Kagawa that would really that would actually frighten me more than anything else because it would be like oh, hang on <laughs> but I, I don't think he's going I just don't think he will Okay then, uh, after the break we're going to talk to Steve Armstrong about what United season so far and what he feels as though uh, Moyes will do. Before we go into the break though, I need to make a statement on behalf of the Anfield Wrap about the forthcoming Hillsborough inquests. Uh, I'm going to start this statement actually reading the notice from the Attorney's General Office, sorry, the Attorney General's Office which has come out this week and it starts like this. The inquest into the death of the 96 people who died as a result of the events at Hillsborough on the 15th of April 1989 are due to begin on the 31st of March 2014. The inquest will be heard by a coroner, Lord Justice Goldring, together with a jury. Editors publishers and social media users should note that the inquest proceedings are currently active for the purpose of the Contempt of Court Act of 1981. The Attorney General wishes to draw attention to the risk of publishing material, including online, which could create a substantial risk that the course of justice in the inquests may be seriously impeded or prejudiced, particularly as this inquest involves a jury. This risk could arise by commentary, which may prejudge issues that witnesses may give evidence about, or matters that the jury might will need to consider in reaching their verdict. The inquests could also be prejudiced by publishing details of material, whatever its source, which may not form part of the evidence at the inquest. The Attorney General's Office will be monitoring the coverage of these proceedings. Editors, publishers and social media users should take legal advice to ensure they are in a position to fully comply with the obligations they are subject to under the Contempt of Court Act. They are also reminded of the advisory note issued by Lord Justice Goldring on the 11th of February 2014, which luckily for you I'm not going to read for you. This statement that I've just read is clearly going to impact upon the Anfield coverage of matters pertaining to the justice campaign going forward. For instance, I am not a professional journalist, nor am I, Neil Atkinson, trained in the law around issues such as these. Whatever emerges from the inquest, I would strongly advise anyone on any social platform to try and, and keep their own counsel on the matter and allow the inquest to be covered by those who are either trained in this or who are able to take regular relevant legal advice to, uh, to lead the way. The Anfield Wrap will, going forward, will be very much taking a watching brief, the very same watching brief we strongly recommend you take. We don't have the resources, nor, in my case, for example, the experience to be able to do any more than this at this time. Crucially, local media in Liverpool has never been so important. With that in mind, I would always recommend our friends here at Radio City News and City Talk, as well as uh, the Liverpool Echo, for instance, Steve Graves op- opposite us, uh, being one of the people who's able to do this. And leading the coverage for the, of the inquest for them will be Eleanor Barlow. She's on Twitter, at Eleanor Barlow. Um, it's clear that any breach will be treated with the utmost seriousness, so please, please act accordingly. Thank you. That's the Anfield Wrap. This is City Talk 105.9. After the break, Steve Armstrong talking about Manchester United. The Anfield Wrap on City Talk 105.9. Welcome back. City Talk 105.9, the Anfield Wrap. Talking to Steve Armstrong now. Just put the opening question to him. He came up with an answer straight away, Steve. Which footballer would you give a makeover to? Well, I think... You've got to have a skinhead if you're going to live in Manchester. It's compulsory uniform. And until Marouane Fellaini decides that he's going to cut that ridiculous mop of a hairdo, then he's never going to he's never going to make it at United. Puts a load of pressure on him, that, doesn't it? Because, I mean, that, that, that was his trademark at Everton, wasn't it, Steve, to some extent? I think he'd get more time and more patience with him if he looked less ridiculous, put it that way. <laughs> OK. We spoke on transfer deadline day, Steve, and you'd expected United to kick on from January. Ultimately, they haven't. Um, why haven't they? We have a little bit. There's two quite high-profile games since I caught up with you guys. Um, 
The first one being the Fulham game, which 30 seconds later would have been a different result if the game had finished as a 2-1 win, because that was actually a pretty decent performance from United. So I think that was the one that I think really sucked the life out of a lot of people's patience with what's been going on at United this season. And then the other one was the absolute debacle, the shambles of a performance out in Greece, which even after two days of drinking non-stop Uzo and, and Racky, <laughs> even I could tell that that formation wasn't going to work and I could barely see. So, you know what I mean? It's pretty obvious that, that that wasn't going to pan out. So I, I could see that in that state and others couldn't that were sober is beyond me. But either side of that, though, you've got to look at the fact that we've just had three consecutive away games and we've managed to not concede in any of them and we haven't played too bad at all. So, Kicking on, absolutely not. Not to the levels that you'd expect United on. But I do think that, slowly but surely, there is a little bit of form, albeit early days, starting to gather. And I also think the other thing that's quite interesting is coinciding with United finally starting to look like they've got a bit of a shape about them in terms of trying to accommodate um, what's the best side to have if we're going to have Fellaini in the side and also where does matters sit in with regards to the formation. So, you know, you're right to say we haven't kicked on it in the sense of we've not exactly gone, you know, flying up the table and started, you know, destroying all comers, but it's starting to shape up a little bit. So, you know, I what, don't necessarily agree with the fact that it hasn't. It hasn't well, what is, what is that shape then, for instance? I'm not watching United, United every week at the moment. So, you know, where, where is Mata sitting in? Where is Fellaini sitting in? I mean, we just talked about that before the break, trying to accommodate Mata, Rooney and Van Persie. looks a little bit tricky for Moyes. He probably wouldn't want to do that in an ideal world, but he feels as though he has to. Well, I, I think that uh, Crystal Palace, and I think one of the reasons that the Olympiacos game was taken so badly is, you know, Crystal Palace isn't, you know, it's not like going into like, you know, the, the Bernabeu or to the San Siro. But it's a tough like place that. to go at the minute. It is a tough place to go. And Pulis has got them set up and tight. And United didn't just win that game. They were not in any way threatened. And it was very, very comfortable win. What we've played in those games is we've played one far up up top, which has been Van Persie. And then Rooney and Matter have sat behind that and then three in midfield, someone wide, and then Fellaini and, and Carrick. Fellaini's had two very, very decent games, actually, you know, and even a lot of people are starting to even suggest that in and around Old Trafford. So that type of formation looks as if that's the way forward, I think, for United. And that's that's going to be difficult for a club that's played largely 4-4-2, apart from away games at places like Anfield, you know, the Council House, and also Stamford Bridge and places like that, where we've usually played 4-5-1. But, you know, United have really clearly started to make a statement that you're going to see like a 4-3-2-1 type of formation. And that seems to be working all right. The key thing, as Steve mentioned it in part one, that there's through the side, there's not, an, there's not an enormous amount, certainly through the spine of the team, there's not an enormous amount of pace there. You know, do you think that sort of hurt Moyes' plans a little bit? Do you think that's what will be getting addressed in the summer? I've always believed I think teams find their pace when, you know, you're attacking. Something I remember you saying once is, you know, teams find it a lot easier attacking than they do going forward, you know, they're coming backwards. So yeah. I thought what you said the last time I saw you was that that rang a bell with me. I mean, that team's got quite a bit of pace in it when play people like Valencia are on one side. Yanazai's no slouch. Even the Van Persies and the Rooney's are no slouch. Welbeck's got... It's more the formation than the actual physical pace that United don't seem to have, but... I still don't think that they've worked out as yet what's the best way to accommodate those kind of players. And the other thing that goes under the radar, United, it's a pretty age inside that now. Mm. You know, it's not just age. Carrick, who has been a, an absolute rock at United for a couple of years now, 
he's been pretty sluggish since he came back from that layoff. And he, you know, it's taken him three or four games to get back. But when your spine of your club has got 30-year-old Van Persie, you know, you've got Carrick, who's certainly past his peak, although doing still a solid job. And then you've got a 35 and a 36-year-old at centre-back. And then play with no width. You know, you're not going to find pace anywhere in that type of setup. Uh, Vidic is no surprise. Signing it publicly wasn't great, I don't think, was it? But I mean, it's no surprise. It's it, it, it's the start of, of what's coming next, I think, isn't it, Steve? Yeah, I think um, if you go back to, I think it was after you'd been to our place last year, and I think I think it was Paul Croker who actually said that. He said that you that you should have played Suarez buzzing round Vidic, you know, because he'd have hated that. And I and I think I said something on that podcast along the lines of. I really feared for Vidic since he's come back from his layoff, and I don't think he's played particularly. Well. I don't think he's been anything like, not just a player, but I also don't think he's been anything like the leader. Um, I think it's the right time for him to be moving on, but whether it was public or not, I don't think he's that big a deal. And 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 I do take a little bit of heart from the fact that Moyes hasn't done a great deal on the pitch that we can be proud about. Um, you know, one. You know, pretty strong performance out in Leverkusen apart. He's been pretty dreadful on the field, but he's dealt with some big decisions behind the scenes. You know, he's bumped off a couple of players that clearly weren't good enough, like Anderson. Um, yeah. You know, he's dealt with Zaha's attitude and bumped him off a little bit. He's clearly brought some of the older guard to a head in terms of Vidic and Ferdinand. And, you know, he's dealt with, you know, what we talked about last time, which was a quite a colossal hospital pass from Sir Alex Ferguson in, in the Rooney situation. So he seems to be dealing with those kind of things pretty well. And again, that brings me always back round to then, you know, what are these guys doing that he's employing as coaches with regards to turning that into something more tangible on the pitch? And, you know, that remains where I've still got my biggest gripe. Do you think that's going to change in the summer? Oh, it's a tough one. I, I, I think Moyes is going to get to a situation where he might, in his own head, think, I've got a choice here. If I stick with these guys I could be out very very quickly if the new season doesn't move on as well it's very similar to what you know it didn't take long for people to turn on Ron Atkinson ropey start on the back of not a great finish the season before and that caved in on him pretty quickly so it could end up being like that I still think that he's got to get someone alongside him who understands Manchester United who understands you know the size of the club both on the pitch and off it and I think if he doesn't do that, then I think that's going to put him in a pretty precarious position. I think he needs to turn around to Lumsden, who's just, I don't know how old the fella is, but, you know, he's, he doesn't seem to be, you know, at the, at the sort of, I don't think he even goes to away games, you know. Um, <laughs> you know, so, um, and he's, no one's seen him at a night game yet, which doesn't help the rumours that he's tucked up in bed with his slippers on, you know. But, you know, we've got clear issues at United that have been pretty well documented. And it was in the last United We Stand that said, Moyes isn't happy with the scouting at United or with the academy setup. And do you know what? Well, maybe that's where he tells Steve Brown to go and work all good because he's clearly he's not qualified to be a coach in Manchester United. And you know the, the most positive thing I've heard said about him is that he's got a, he's got a notebook that's got every training session he's ever recorded. Well, that, that's going to terrify the likes of Lionel Messi in it in the Champions League. <laughs> so you know, from our point of view, you know, it, it, there might be a job for him to go and do that, but he's got to get somebody world class alongside him. And you've got people like. You know, Carlos Queiroz, who's going to finish with Iran in, in the summer and knows the club, not only the club as, as, as a football inside, but he knows the size of the organisation as well. And I, I think he genuinely would come back to Manchester United. Not, 
I think he's got a real affection for that club and I think he'd make a huge, huge, huge difference at the club because I still trust Moyes' ability to manage and I can see his ability to manage in some of these backroom decisions. What's going on on the pitch, some of the formation, some of the decision making, you know, it's almost embarrassing at times and you know that's the bit he's got to sort out. And do you know what, if he doesn't do that, I think he'll probably end up in a bit of trouble. Is there not a danger though, Steve, if, if he brings in a strong, as you say, sort of world-class figure um, as the assistant manager that that comes to be seen as as a threat to him anyway. If particularly if it was say say it was Kiros, and things didn't go particularly well, yeah, is there the danger that fans start looking towards having that figure there and and wondering, you know, have we got the right the men the right way around? Possibly, but I think he's going to be in that situation, particularly if we... It's really important for United to end this season in good form and to start next season in good form. And if that doesn't happen, you know, he's going to be in a pretty precarious position. You know, it's one of those, you know, he's damned if he does, damned if he doesn't. But, you know, what? I'll tell you what will put more pressure on him is getting beat three or four times per month and not playing particularly well and, you know, struggling not only to get into the Champions League, and that ain't going to happen now, but certainly struggling to even get into the Europa League, you know, which is a possibility. So I just think he's got to look at that and accept that those people he's brought with him aren't qualified to coach at a club of Manchester United size with players of the talent that he's at their disposal. They're just not qualified to do that. You know, and you know, I think I said that right at the outset of this season that that was my biggest concern, you know. It feels like Moyes is still, you know, he's still very much got the away support with him. That doesn't seem to have wavered at any point during the season. I noticed Andy uh, Andy Mitten wrote a piece for ESPN this week. Uh, yeah. You know, he was uh, on United support, talking United support up, but he was, he was pointing out that, you know, there's, there is, as there is at every big club now, there is this conflict between what we can call sort of the hardcore support and what we can maybe slightly bracket as the corporate support, mm. the entertainment brigade. You know, is, is that schism beginning to realise itself, do you think, from, from, from the people that you're speaking to? Or, do you, you know, do you think that the support behind Moyes remains pretty solid? Don't get me wrong, there's been a real downturn and it, and I detect it. I was stood selling, you know, we stand outside after the Fulham game and I'd literally I'd literally walked out of the ground to hear the goal going. So obviously I thought, you know, done and dusted, I'll get yeah. out there and you know, it was a it was a it was a new mag, so I thought I'd get out there and sell and do you know how many times I've done that this season, you know? <laughs> uh, I've got out there and you know, I think we've dropped something like twelve points this season while I've been stood outside selling magazines. You could um, be the problem, Steve. I could be my yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like being in my own house, everything's my fault. Um <laughs> the um the thing I, I thought there was a real downturn from people leaving that ground after that Fulham game. And I saw that at Old Trafford, and I think that was where I'd seen, I'd say, the pendulum swing from backing to not backing. Because I think you've heard me say a few times, I think United support Old Trafford this year, given the fact that, you know, we've scored 18 goals in something like, I think we've played, I think we've played 13 games at Old Trafford this year. Good Lord. And that's just, you know, that's abysmal. I mean, we've only let 12 in on the plus side, but I mean, that's not the most entertaining um, you know, set stats that you'll ever hear. Our, our away form, we've won more away and scored almost double the goals away. Yeah, yeah, you look good on the road at the moment. And when we've talked before about, you know, whether or not it's been a step forward or a step backwards kicking on since transfer deadlines, the away form has, you know, it's been pretty solid. Good win at the weekend, West Brom. Both us and Chelsea have dropped points there recently. It's interesting that United can't get going at Old Trafford. Yeah, and I, and I, and even, you know, from my I don't think changing formations helps. I don't think, um, but I think I think there is a tension in the in the, in the crowd. But I don't think it's ever spilled over into into people, you know, 
you know, booing and ranting and walking out. I don't. I think the support at Old Trafford has been pretty good, but I don't tend to want to get into these kind of questions about you know the, when people say the home supports this, the away supports that. You know, I could point to thousands of people who'd love to be able to go away games, yeah, but either can't afford it or you know can't get in the ground from a ticket allocation. I'd say that by and large the support for Moyes is still there because I think that's just generally what the culture of being a Manchester United fan is all about. You know, we don't tend to whinge at the first sign of a crisis. Um, but I do think that the Fulham game was where a lot of people really did start to think this isn't going to work. And then the Olympiacos game was probably the time where I think a lot of people who'd gone on the road tend, you know, people who go on the road who tend to kind of very, very quickly Try, try, try to get out of match mode or try to get out of what's gone on on the pitch mode and, yeah. and, and get on with having a good time. Olympiacos was probably the one where... He made you work hard, did he, Steve? <laughs> did he make you work very hard after that game? <laughs> he, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it, was, it was a tough one, yeah. It was a big one. But the, the thing there, though, is it's those two games, I thought there's a real sense of people being very, very unhappy. And I think... Um, I think that's something that was very, very noticeable, both you know, on, on the home and the away game. But yeah, I still think that you know, there's a sizable contingent who were willing to give him a chance. Um, I still think, however, though, that that is going to keep diminishing with every you know bad performance. And I think the size of the game coming up at the weekend, given that Follow, followed by Olympiacos and then followed by City. Yeah, I know. It's well, it, I think there's going to be. It's a bit like Gaz Top's run around with Mike Reid or whatever it was called a little music. I think everybody will know where they're going by the end of M3. Um, you know, I think that'll define the the situation. So, well, with that, with that, with that, the week being that big, then you know, just just to sort of begin to wrap this up. You know, firstly, what are you expecting the United approach to be against Liverpool? Are you expecting them to go back to, to the shape that you were discussing earlier on? Certainly, as Mata can't play in the second leg, yeah. but with the second leg on his mind, I mean, you know. It's still an opportunity to win a trophy. It's still an opportunity to get into the Champions League. You'd have thought that that'd be, you know, that'd be top of his top top of his agenda, really. Your league's your bread and butter, and regardless of you know, if it was a semi final, and you know, and you know, yeah. and, and you've got someone like Schalke who are three up away at Galatasaray in the other leg, you know, then fair enough. But you know, I think people know the reality of of it is. I think a good strong finish in the league is more important than anything he can do in the Champions League. Because I think, do you know what? I think if, if if United won the Champions League, which isn't going to happen, people would just say it was an absolute fluke of nature. And I don't think Moyes would get any credit for that whatsoever. I do think, though, that if we finish the year in strong form, where people are seeing formations coming together, seeing a couple of players really start to cement themselves in the side, I do think what you probably see then is people coming more round to, to that and seeing what the future might look like going forward at United. Because, you know, he's still got, we've got the summer to come in and he's clearly going to strengthen the squad in, 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 in some places there. So I think people realise that that's coming ahead. But I, I, I still see, to me, winning this game on Sunday, you know, and trying not to get mullered by City um, as, a, as quite an important thing, possibly even more so than than what happens in the Champions League because the general consensus is you know what if we manage to squeak through against Olympiacos and I haven't ruled that out you know I haven't ruled that out at all because Olympiacos weren't that good we were just dreadful it's only going to you know postpone the inevitable mauling at the hands of somebody in the next round who's, who's going to really go to town on United 
It's interesting you, spent, you, you mentioned, you know, avoiding a mall and a city against City there because at the minute, I think, for instance, I think we're playing the best attacking football in the country. How concerned are you? You're more concerned by City than you are by us at the moment. Is that just generally you? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. That's you, isn't it? Me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I can deal with Gak and Andal getting, you know, I grew up getting beat by you lot, so I can, I've kind of, I kind of, I know what that feels like. Yeah, yeah. No, I think it's more to do with, I, I still think that Liverpool haven't been to Old Trafford for quite a while and really got their tactics, their setups right. City come to Old Trafford every year and pretty much now nowadays really play United out of the place. Um, I think it would be interesting to see what happens this weekend with Rodgers because you know, I remember being in your studio last year, the day after the, the game at Old Trafford. And, Liverpool know, he, started so slow, didn't they, Steve? He, I mean, that was yeah. the thing. And, and if he's learned from that lesson, I think... I think he'll be very, very keen to put that to bed um, for a start, and I'd expect United to have worked that out already. That that's likely to that's likely to be what's happening. It's going to be. A big, I think it's going to be a big first fifteen minutes. To be honest with you, I, that, this is the thing I was saying this in part one, Steve. You know, I think I think the first fifteen minutes of the football match are going to be absolutely massive. Yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that, and I think it's going to be. You know, there's still the needle in there. There's still some. You know, the, I think the crowd will be well up for it. I think um, because you know, there's people who are seeing this as an opportunity to put. A, you know, I, I don't think you're going to win the title. I think City and Chelsea are going to be too strong for you and have too much depth in in the running for that. But there are still people. It's still a very very strong possibility, and and that ground will be full of people who will take a lot of joy in seeing United put, you know, a bit of a dent into your aspirations for that. So I think the ground will be bouncing. I think the players are coming off a bit of form and I think they'll see that as you know that's three straight league games not letting in a goal I think they'll feel more confident that it's tighter but they're going to have to be because you know as you quite rightly point out Liverpool's attacking play this year has been nothing short of sensational Um, Um, what's your prediction then Steve? uh, I think it'll rain (laughs) Um, which is the only thing I can say with any certainty Um, it's a tough one United have let 12 goals in at Old Trafford, which isn't a lot. So scoring at Old Trafford is going to be, you know, difficult even for a side like yours with Suarez and Sturridge and and what's coming in from behind that. Um, I think you know, it'd be interesting to see who he plays in and around those. Um, but I, I still expect United, as do the bookies, to sneak it. Indeed, excellent stuff. We'll find out after the break whether or not Steve, and it's very kind of him to, to speak to us from London, whether or not Steve has uh, sufficiently put the wind up. Steve, uh, Steve Graves and Paul Cope, he's certainly done it to me. Steve, uh, have a reasonably good weekend, mate, but not a great one. Yeah. Uh, this is the Anfield Wrap, City Talk 105.9. Uh, don't go anywhere, I'll be back after this. The Anfield Wrap on City Talk 105.9. It's the Anfield Wrap, City Talk 105.9. Uh, thanks to Steve Armstrong there in part two. So, Paul... Has he put the wind up in a bit? <laughs> yeah, he has. He did, a, he did a good job, didn't he? I tell you, I hope our lads aren't listening to that. They I, I hope they're not listening to that in training. They won't be. They're in a dark room eating raw steak. <laughs> <laughs> I, it's uh, yeah. I mean, th- this ultimately this is what it comes down to, and this is what I was trying to drive at in part one. While the pair of you were getting giddy, it's Manchester United. They're a serious proposition. They're a serious football club, Steve. And there is this idea that they can pull themselves together for something like this. Yeah, nah, we're battering. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. It, it's just. <laughs> Steve is um, is quite optimistic still throughout. He has been throughout this season, um, and uh, you know he's occasionally sort of taught me around. Um, he certainly taught me around in January to the fact that they were definitely going to finish top four, and uh, you know that that's not going to happen. Though, only considered tw- only um, conceded twelve league goals at home. That's the big thing for me. I w- I think if you'd have asked us beforehand, because I, I didn't know that stat. So if you didn't know that, I think if you asked, they haven't played us. Did, 
Yeah, that's and that's, I know, in and the there's, there's a couple of sides this, aren't they? Of those twelve, two of them were to Fulham, who were one of the worst teams yeah. we've seen. So if if Fulham can score two, I'm sure mm. we can get a couple. Yeah. But that is a, I think that is we a big get point. Only only twelve goals conceded at home all season and they've been terrible. That's that suggests their defence isn't as bad as we think it is. Well, and this is the this is the key thing. I mean, it it, it depends. It's it's back to the blanket stuff, isn't it, Steve? I mean, the point is as well. They've only conceded twelve, but they've only scored thirteen. So you know, it's quite clear what they're focusing on being, what they're being good at. That they've got good shape, they've got good this, they've got good that. I think their team selection is more interesting than ours. It those that figure also tells you a lot about what teams still do. There's still a residual sort of respect that teams carry when they go to Old Trafford. What teams are finding is they're not scoring, but they're also not getting really, really hurt either. Which just they just have it, these inert kind of performances when when nothing sort of happens either way. Did you ask me about formation? I asked you that their selection's probably isn't <laughs> their selection. Yes, um, no, it is, um, and I think you know Steve touched on it there. But Moyes has been. When I've seen them, I've always felt like he's gone with the safe selection, the you can't blame me selection, which is to pick the, the the sort of players that any fan would pick or anyone who doesn't really follow the game that much would would pick. Which you know, he's, he's pairing sort of Vidic and Ferdinand together again. He doesn't seem to have found someone within the sort of youth ranks to to really put faith in and invest his his sort of political capital in as as a manager, which is which is hard to do, but it's something that a lot of managers do when they come to to a side is they find someone who who gives them a solution internally um, he just doesn't seem to have been able to do that to any to any real extent Do you think he'll do that this weekend? I mean do you think that this might be the weekend where he makes the big decision at centre-back for instance? I would be yeah, I mean I would be more concerned if you saw what Steve was talking about the Jones and Jones and Smalling partnership than Ferdinand and Vidic and I think some of that probably translates to players in that the likes of Suarez and Sturridge would see Vidic and Ferdinand as, as an opportunity Really, and in sort of psychologically, in terms of them having been great players as well, you know, it's the kind of challenge you'd relish. Whereas if United can just sort of bore, you know, put in the most boring sort of system with with players who actually can do a functional job, that that might actually fox us a bit more. But I'm, I'm not the guy. I think it wouldn't be, for instance, on this. I think it would be no, you know, great, no great shame for uh, for, for David Moyes. What you were saying before, uh, Paul. You know, if one or two injuries were able to make his mind up and all that sort of stuff, you know, this is this is where things get quite interesting for him. What what do you think Rodgers will do? What do you think he should do? Same as Southampton. I think it's a tricky one for Rodgers. Um, I I've been an advocate for a few weeks now of our biggest weakness for me is having nothing off the bench to change your game. And, for, and I'd actually, I advocated a couple of weeks ago that I would consider, if I was Rodgers, leaving one of Sturridge or Suarez on the bench. He's not going to do it for this, option. though. He's not going to do it for this. And I'm, and I'm not saying that it's something he should do. But, but what Sterling did, made a difference. But what he was, did at Southampton, I think, was interesting because Sterling is that man off the bench then. My only concern with that is I don't think Coutinho deserves to be in the side ahead of Sterling. So there's a there's an argument for me that you you do what you did against Southampton, but you have Sterling instead of Coutinho. And then as, as the game opens up, as time goes on, Coutinho may be able to pick passes. I think the only problem you've got with all of that is you can't compare it to Southampton because Southampton played us and play at home in a completely different way that Moyes is going to play us on Sunday. He is not going to just leave two centre-halves up against our two strikers. He's not going to push on to us. We're not going to be able to hit them on the break. They're not going to play a high line, I wouldn't expect. I would I would imagine he's going to play He's going to play deep. I wouldn't be surprised to see Jones playing midfield to, to squeeze that space and to stop our creative players just getting even at their back four. So I'm not. I'm not sure what he'll do. Alan. Alan obviously gives you that extra dimension. Would you start? Alan, we'll do this one at a time. Would you start, Alan? Paul, would you start, Alan? No. Steve, would you start, Alan? Yes. 
Who would you start Alan at expense of? Um, Sterling. I presume this is a Sterling or Coutinho discussion. Yeah, Coutinho. You'd start him ahead of uh, Coutinho. Would you start Sacco? Yes. Ahead of? Um, Daniel Agger. Well, next to his skirt. And so. the bench should also therefore have Daniel Agger on. It should have Lucas Lever on. Should mm-hmm. have one of Coutinho who drops down. I mean, the, the interesting thing is suddenly, Paul, there is actually a bench there all of, all of a sudden. You know what I mean? When you begin to throw these sorts of names in. Would you start Sacco? I'd start Sacco, yeah. Yeah. Really? Yeah, and and it's strange for me to say that because I, I used to be a huge Danny Aga fan. I think he did okay against Southampton. I think the defensive display against Southampton was actually over-egged a little bit. Um, and I I think Sacco needs to... Sacco and, and Skirtliff, if they're both fit, need to be our centre-half pairing for the rest of the season now. So so start at Old Trafford. You see, I'd start Aga, and I'm not a, I'm not a Daniel Aga fan at the moment, but yeah. I would like to. I'd like to see. I'd, I'd go unchanged. I think it's one he'd be up for. One he'd. I think it's one he'd be up for, and I think that I would. I would want to see it unchanged. Now I'd probably look at Saka at Cardiff and use the justification of expecting a lot of balls into the box, etc., etc. Which we are at United as well, but Rogers is very much a collegiate manager. It's very much keeping the dressing room ticking over. I wouldn't want to disturb that sort of balance. And you can say there was a clean sheet. Um, would we, and this is the interesting one for me, this is the most interesting one, would we, any of us consider bringing Sissoko back in off the basis of that we know what the sort of thing they're going to do at wide areas? Or do you think he'll stick with Air Flanagan and Johnson, Steve? It's a tough one, this, because I sort of want, I want Glenn Johnson and John Flanagan to play, but I also would want to see Sissoko come back in because I quite like his, um, I, I like what he does bring to the side and everyone focuses on the things he doesn't, um, which which I think is goes goes to really unfair extremes. I would consider whether you look at Johnson right back and Sissoko left back, and that feels incredibly harsh on on John Flanagan. Uh, Paul Cope, what would you do there? I I think it's a tricky one. I, I I actually really like Sissoko as a as a left back as a defender. He stops crosses coming into the box. He knows what he's doing. He doesn't give you too much going forward. But then you're away at Old Trafford, so yeah. do you need that on both sides of the pitch? Um, They've got Mata cutting in as well on that flank. He's not going to play as an orthodox right midfielder. Yeah, when I, when when you're in the ascendancy, he does. He can slot into that. You can make it a sort of a back three, and then Johnson can attack can attack a bit more as well if you sort of expose them. Particularly if Everett's struggling a bit down the left. It's an intriguing one. Yeah, but I, I I don't see him doing it for the same reason. You you don't think I guess you'd leave the team. I don't see him dropping Flanagan or or Johnson. Okay then, so we're saying that the Liverpool should have a relatively strong bench, certainly a stronger bench as they've had at any stage this season. Uh, we're saying that, for instance, in part one, everyone was very, very effusive. In part three, slightly less so. Steve Armstrong's fancies United will sneak it along with the bookmakers. Paul Cope, what's your prediction? After all this, after the highs, the lows, the 10 days, everything, what's your prediction? I think we'll, I think we'll beat them. And I think we'll beat them 2-0 with a very professional, solid performance a proper 2-0 you think we'll, win a, we'll get a proper 2-0 at Old Trafford a proper 2-0 uh, this feels Steve's going to say something mad this feels madder to me this point. <laughs> Steve's going to say something mad but no, 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 there's nothing that Steve will say that will that will strike me as more unlikely than this professional 2-0 that you're talking about I obviously really hope it happens uh, Steve Graves uh, 3-1 and I think possibly the two two of, two of our goals coming quite late really sort of post 75 yeah I think Steve Steve was right in that they you know they they fall off in games as well. Okay then, okay then. Uh, I'm going to go with a two-two, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, ah. Try and read the Anfield Rap magazine. Uh, Moyes loves a two-two. Uh, try and I'm, I'm, pl- I'm playing the I'm playing the I'm playing the occasion and David Moyes. Uh, try and read the Anfield Rap, rap magazine if you can. Uh, please pay attention to what we discussed at the, at the end of part one. Uh, this has been the Anfield Rap this week. We've got to run now. I've got to go and do the New York stuff as well. So hopefully everyone who's listening to that's going to come to that as well. God, I feel terrible saying two-two. 
3-2 Liverpool. This is the Anfield Wrap. <laughs> the Anfield Wrap, brought to you by High Street Solicitors. Have your will drafted or amended for just £49 plus VAT. Call 203 1268.